KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah. Today is Thursday. This is Ezra Beck. As you can hear from my voice, it's really winter here in Gush Etzion. One of the uh, unexpected difficulties in maintaining KMTT, uh, which we didn't have when we started last summer, was the continual loss of voice. And uh, once again, I'm coming down with a cold. I hope you can all hear me. Today we're starting a new series. Uh, each week on Thursday for the next 10 weeks, Rav Moshe Tarragon will be giving a series of what he calls Redemptive Sketches, Shurim, uh, on the concept of Geula, Eretz Yisrael, and things connected with redemption and with, uh, with Geula. Rav Tarragon will be familiar to the listeners in KMTT from last summer when he gave the series, as well as of all those who have been in the BBM over the years, where he is a continual and uh, regular presence, shurim and methodology, and other shurim as well. So, Ram in Yeshivat Haritzion, Harav, Harav Tarigan. The Gemara in Sota, on Dafir Gimel Amal Aleph, describes the journey of the Jewish people through the Midbar. The Gemara says, Kal Osan Shanim, Shehoi Yisrael Bamidbar, the Gemara on Dafir Gimel, the entire period that the Jewish people marched through the desert, their journey was directed by two juxtaposed arcs or boxes. One was the Aaron HaKodesh, covered internally and externally with gold, housing the transcendent heavenly word of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, inscribed fire, black fire on white fire on the Luchas Abris and the other ark the other coffin contained the rattling bones of an ancient grandfather of Yosef HaTzadik and these two arks marched or bestrode each other and people who would witness this journey the innocent bystanders would question, would wonder Matiban what do these two arcs contain? Amru, they were told, They were informed that one ark contained the bones of Yosef, and the other ark contained the Shechina. And they questioned, Is it feasible that the Aaron HaKodesh containing the eternal, timeless word of HaKadosh Baruch should be associated with a coffin of a dead man? So the immediate answer they received was, Yosef was privileged to this juxtaposition, to this adjacency, because he fulfilled the entire Torah. Reminiscent of a Gemara in Bavakam in the end of the first parak, that when Chizkiah was buried, they removed the Sefer Torah from its ark, they placed it on his mitah, on, his, on the bed carrying his body, and they announced, Kaim I believe, however, this Gemara illustrates an additional message. There are two arcs which lead the Jewish people through their journey, through their journey through the desert, and through their journey as a nation, existentially, nationally, religiously. One arc, the arc containing the tablets, the Luchas Abris. The other arc, containing the bones of Yosef HaTzadik. 
This is a highly metaphoric portrait which demonstrates that there are two components to Avodah Hashem. There are two components to religious identity, to religious consciousness. One component is the religious component. Religion in the narrow and internal, almost self-defined manner. Torah, mitzvot, Talmud Torah, luchos, our relationship with Kuch as defined by those specific, narrowly defined activities. In short, the arc of ritual, the arc of Torah study, the arc of ceremony, the arc of protocol. The Torah, the Aron HaKodesh, our relationship with Kuch independent of any other factor, of any other historical context, of any other nationhood. Even if a person were the last Chas Hashem Jew to live, we once asked Rav Lichtenstein to define Emunah and Bitachon for us. And he claimed that even if you were the last Jew to walk out of Auschwitz, Chas Hashem, your Emunah should in no way erode. Even if you no longer had a nation to which you belonged to. But there is a second component Hashem, a second component to Frumkite, a second component to religious identity. That's the Ark of Yosef, the Ark of Jewish history. Yosef Atzadik was the pioneer of Jewish history. Stripped from his family at a very young age, he descended into Egypt and blazed a trail for thousands of years of Jewish history, of survival, and not just survival, but excellence, not just in Eretz Yisrael, but in Chutzlaretz, facing a hostile and foreign world. Any Jew who succeeds in Jewish history works within the template that Yosef HaTzadik fashioned. The second component to the Jewish march, the second component of religious identity of Frumkite, the second component is historical consciousness, to have a sensitivity to the journey of the Jewish nation, to the struggle of the Jewish nation, to the mission of the Jewish nation, to the very, very heavy and terrible burden which this mission and struggle has exacted upon us throughhout the centuries. The tremendous sacrifice in Mesiras Nefesh, which Jews have shown and continue to show, in order to fulfill their grand mission of redeeming history and of affecting history. The world was created in Tishrei, but history and redemptive history, redemption being the end point, the goal, the destination of the historical arc, arc in this case with a C, not with a K, Redemption being the conclusion of the historical arc, redemptive history was established and was launched in Nisan. Benisan Nigalu or Benisan Asidin Ligoyal. Which is why a Jew lives in two different time continuums, in two different time realities. He's part of this world, he's part of this planet, he's part of this universe. He aligns himself with the other creatures and beings of this universe, human and non-human, as creatures and beings of a Baruch but he has a unique role in redeeming and affecting, reflecting HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Ratzon throughout history. And this role was launched in Nisan, and this experience begins in Nisan, and ends, of course, in Sukkot, when the process of Chagim, the process of Yom Tovim, has reached its conclusion. Zecha Asal Niflosav, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the Pasuk we recite in Rosh Hashanah, in a section of Zechronos, Zechor Asal Niflosav HaKadosh Baruch Hu established Yom Tovim to remind us of his miracles, to remind us of our unique role, not just as the passive recipients of his miracles, but as participants and co-participants in the historical process of redeeming history and of bearing the message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu for an entire hostile world audience. This is the very powerful and resonant message 
of Selta Daf Yud Gimel. That a Jew cannot be completely from if his religious experience is limited solely to the Aaron HaKodesh, solely to Torah, to mitzvahs. The second component of religious success, of religious performance, is sensitivity, participation, acknowledgement of the Jewish historical process. The Gemara in Shabbos informs us that when a person ascends to Shemayim after 120 years on this earth, he will face the following string of questions. Amarava. When a person faces final judgment, Omrim Lo, these are the questions he has to respond to. These are the terms for success as a Jew, as an Ovid Hashem. Question number one, Nasasa Venatata Bemuna, were you honest and ethical in your business dealings? Did you display integrity, honesty, respect for other people? Or were you manipulative and calculating and deceitful? The baseline of religion is integrity and honesty. The foundation of religion is goodness and morality. Kavati itam latara. Did you set aside meaningful time to Torah study? Talmud Torah keneged kulam. The Gemara says in Brachos, Echad amarbe, v'echad amamit, uvulvad shichavin libo lashamayim. Person studies Torah, can study more, can study less. But it is incumbent, at the very least, halachically, upon every Orthodox Jewish male to set aside meaningful time to Torah study. Asakta b'periviriviv. Did you invest your resources, your strength, your energy in raising a family, in nurturing a family? Sipisali Yeshua. Did you anticipate redemption? Is that enough to display honesty in Torah study to raise a family? A Jew has to live with an abiding sense of historical consciousness and an insatiable desire to see the historical process brought to its redemptive conclusion and to sense the opportunities for him to contribute and to respond to Kodesh Baruch Hu's initiative in, re- in redeeming history. The initiative which is described in Shir Hashirim, and sometimes our response is commensurate, sometimes unfortunately our response is lacking. So these two Gemaras, the Gemara in Sota on Daf Yud Gimel, Gemara in Shabbos on Daf Lam and Aleph, assert a very, very bold and important per- perspective on the full complement of traits necessary to succeed in religion, to succeed in Avodah Hashem. Religion is based on the ritualistic elements, the Torah study, mitzvah's performance, building a personal and eternal relationship with Kuchibrichel. But it's just as much based on sensitivity to and participation in the historical process. The same duality within religious consciousness in Frumkite is highlighted very soon after the birth of Jewish history. The birth of Jewish history occurs during the bris ben Abisarim, in the end of Parshish Lech Lecha, where Kodesh Baruch Hu informs Avraham of the privileges, the grandeur, the majesty of Jewish history, as well as the terrible burden, Kigeri Yazaracha, Avadum Vinorasam Arbami Oshana, the challenge of Mitzrayim, the challenge of Galus, the challenge of anti-Semitism, in short, the glorious but terrible challenge of Jewish history. In Parshas Vayera, Avram is summoned to the mountain, to the mountain of Har Maria, in what can be referred to as the greatest religious moment in human history, where Avram is expected to express his love for this invisible transcendent God and his fear of that God 
even to the point that he's willing to sacrifice his own flesh and blood. Atayadati, when Avram succeeds in his test, the response is, Atayadati, the Malach informs him, Atayadati ki And now realize the true depths of your religious passion and of your religious commitment. And we would expect that at this climactic moment, when Avraham is informed that a Kurdish Baruch who recognizes the sacrifice and the heroism, we would expect at this moment for the saga, for the heroic episode of the Akedas Yitzchak to conclude on that high note, at that climactic moment. But after receiving this recognition, Avraham has one more task. Vayisa Avraham Meseinav Vayar Vine Ayel Achar Nechaz Basvach Bekarnav Vayelech Avraham Vayikaches Ayel Vayaleo Liola Tachas Benau. He notices a ram, not just a ram, but another ram. Ayel Achar, not just another ram, but another ram caught in the thicket of Haramoria. Chazal interpret this thicket metaphorically. The Medrash in Vayikra Parsha Chavtes Amar of Huna Berb Yitzchak Melamed Shehera HaKadosh Baruch Hu L'Avraham Mesa Ayol HaKadosh Baruch Hu displayed the Ayol to Avraham Nitash Mechoresh Zeh freeing itself from one thicket Vinisbach Bechoresh Zeh being caught by a different thicket. Amr HaKadosh Baruch Hu Le'Avraham Kachem Asidim Bonecha This ram is metaphoric. It reflects the history of the Jewish march. Ne'achazim Ba'umos They're caught in the thicket of history, caught in one nation, politically, economically, culturally, militarily. V'nisbachim Batsaros They're trapped by persecution and discrimination. And as they free themselves from one danger and from one threat, they're immediately caught in a second threat. From Babel to Madai, from Madai to Greece, from Greece to Rome, from the Holocaust to the challenge of building the state of Israel. And their only future and true and complete redemption will come through the horns of this isle. Harehu de Amar Vashem Alehem Yira'eh Viatza Kabarak Chitzo. Pasik we also recite in the section of Sefer Shafaros, Psuke Shafaros and Mashashana. The horn of the ram represents God's redemptive call. The thicket withholding, catching the ram. Refusing to release the ram is reflective of the inability of the Jewish people to fully release themselves from the challenge of Jewish history until its ultimate redemptive conclusion. This is the metaphoric symbolism of that other isle. When Avram was willing to sacrifice Yitzchak, it marked the high point, it capped the high point in specific or narrowly defined religious history, man and God, Avram and the Rabbana Shalom, Avas Hashem, Kiddush Hashem, and the willingness of a human being to sacrifice the most dear item in his world on behalf of the love for his God. 
But there was that second element to religious consciousness, to Avodas Hashem. Interestingly enough, HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not initiate, did not instruct Avram towards this isle. The Pasuk writes, Vayisa Avraham Esinav Vayar. He lifted his own eyes. He sensed, he intuited. There was another ram, there was another component, there was another challenge. It's not enough for a Jew to merely build a relationship with the Rabboni Shalom on an individual basis, but there's a participation and a national experience and a willingness to submit to and commit to that collective experience and recognize, as I said a moment ago, the great glory and the terrible tragedy and burden of facing an entire world seething with hatred at the one nation selected to bear the message of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this was Avram's heroism and commitment to these dual components of religion constitutes the totality of religious consciousness. And Sefer Bereshus also demonstrates one individual who is discharged from redemptive history simply because he was unwilling to bear the burden, the great and terrible burden of Jewish history. In Parshas Vayishlach, after Yaakov and Esav had their final summit, their final encounter, Esav travels to Seir, and Yaakov continues on his way to Eretz Canaan, and he launches the final sections of Sefer Bracious, dominated by the saga of Yosef and his brothers. As Esav exits the stage, so to speak, the Torah describes his genealogy in great detail. The entire Paraklamid Vav upwards of fifty Psukim are dedicated to Esav's genealogy. Vela told us Esav who Adam. Esav Lakachet Nashav Mibnos Kinan, Asadab, Asilon, Achiti, Vasalivama, Basanab, Sivona Khivi, etc., etc., in painstaking detail. Anytime the Torah iterates a seemingly meaningless element in great detail, that elaboration and verbosity requires attention. Why is Esav's genealogy delineated in such great detail? So in part, as Rashi mentions, because Esav was not meticulous in selecting um, appropriate halachically or morally appropriate wives, there was a lot of incest and intermarriage, a lot of bastardization, and the Torah highlights the difference between Yaakov's family and Esav's uh, wanton, almost promiscuous sexual behavior. We say in Elenu every day, We value the difference in our national experience, and we also value the manner in which Jewish families conduct themselves and the laws of purity, and Tara, and Tara's HaMishpacha, and Erva, Yisuri Erva. The great bracha we recite, the moment of Erison, which highlights Tara's HaMishpacha as the centerpiece of the rock-solid experience of Jewish family. But there's a second, more subtle, but perhaps more important message embedded within the genealogy of Asaph in the 36th parakel of, Parsh- of Sefer Bereshis. In Pasuk Vav, the Torah describes Asaph's departure. Vayikach Esav es nashav v'yas banav v'yas benosav v'yas kol nafshos b'sav v'yas mekneo v'yas kol behemtav v'yas kol kinyanau Every lengthy list of his entourage, wives and sons, daughters and household members, cattle and animals, his entire possession, 
or the entire scope of his possessions. Vayelech el Eretz, he travels to a land, an undisclosed land, Mibnei Yaakov Achiv, because of Yaakov. Then the Torah describes Kiaya Rechusham Rav Mishavaz Yachda, the seemingly technical reason. The land couldn't bear two affluent landowners, reminiscent of Avram and Lot. But then the Torah continues, Velo Yachla Eretz Megurahem Laseis Osam, Mibnei Meknehem. It's repeating the fact that the land, but not just the land, the land of their heritage, couldn't bear them. Rashi cites the Medrash. That Esav's departure was not merely based on commercial, financial, or agricultural concerns. Mipnei Yaakov Achiv, the conclusion of Pasuk Vav. What was Yaakov's role? Yaakov didn't discourage Esav from remaining in Eretz Yisrael. He didn't violently or militarily evict him from Israel. So why did Esav leave? Mipnei Yaakov Achiv. Because of the threat, because of the specter of Brisbane Abbasarim, of Jewish history, of the promise of which HaKadosh Baruch Hu informed Yitzchak. And conceivably, Esav was just as included. That threat, that challenge to Yitzchak and to Avram was just as relevant to Esav in theory. It was available to Esav just as it was available to Yaakov. But Esav opted out. What did Esav say? Amar, Eilech li mikan. I want to leave this country. Ein li chelek. I don't want to part. Lo haaretz If this is what it takes to live in Israel, if this is what it takes to participate in redemptive history, the burden, the struggle, the sacrifice, the persecution, the Giriyaz Aracha, not interested. I don't want a portion. It's not in the great bounty and the great privilege of living in Israel. Because I cannot bear the thought of shouldering the burden of the land of Israel and the burden of Jewish history. Esau effectively dislocates himself from Jewish history, dislocates himself from the land of Israel, dislocates himself from Brisbane Absarim, because it was too heavy, because it was too burdensome, because it was too threatening. And therefore the Torah doesn't feel like it has to describe where he went, he just left. Vayelech el Eretz. He wanted a quiet, tranquil, suburban lifestyle without the challenges the historical land of Israel demanded of him and expected from him. So he chooses a land. Historically, that land happens to be Edom, Seir. It's not important in this context to describe or to specify that land. He just leaves. He leaves because the challenge of history is too difficult for him. And in part, the elaborate description of his genealogy is in part a send-off for Esau, that Esau loses his role in the redemptive elements of history. And for him, it's all just about raising families and children, cattle and possessions, and quiet, tranquil lands to raise his family. And he walks away and turns his back on Jewish history. And at that point, Yaakov is left to shoulder the great burden to participate in redemptive history independently. Vayeshev Yaakov, after Vayishlach concludes, Paraklam Zayin, Vayeshev Yaakov, Beretz Kenan, Beretz Megri Aviv, Yaakov remains, not just in a land that happens to be referred to as the land of Canaan, but Be'eretz Meguri Aviv. It's a land which is saturated with prophecy, a land saturated with promises, 
land saturated with challenge and historical struggle, but the land of history and the experience of history. The end of Parshas Vayishlach highlights a portrait of Esau who refuses to participate in the process of history and therefore is excluded from the Am Hanifchar, from the Jewish experience or from the historical experience. It's a very interesting story, which, sadly enough, a tragic story, which took place a few years back. About five years ago, there was a very terrible bombing in a pizza shop in downtown Jerusalem called Sabaros. Very, very infamous Thursday afternoon bombing. If I remember correctly, upwards of 20 people were killed in that bombing. A person who was very close to the yeshiva, his daughter was caught in that bombing, and Baruch Hashem, her life was spared. She was uh, moderately injured. That Friday evening, the bombing took place Thursday mid-afternoon. That Friday evening, he sat in the hospital room with his daughter, reviewing the parsha. Overwhelmed with uh, a mix of very, very differing emotions. Great gratitude to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that his daughter's life was spared. Dismay and despair of those whose lives hadn't been spared. A very surreal environment, uh, surrounded by white, but not the white of the Shabbos cloth, but the white of hospital attendants and hospital beds. As he was reviewing the Parsha with his young adolescent daughter, she kept asking him, Abba, Abba, he wrote a letter to this effect, Abba, what happened to that family? What happened to that family? There was a family of Dutch immigrants. Um, I won't pronounce the name because it's, uh, it's a very, very difficult name to pronounce. I don't want to get it wrong. There's a family of Dutch immigrants of whom the father, the mother, and three out of five children were murdered that day in Yerushalayim can visit their graves at Har HaMenuchas. I try to go every year before Yamim Narayim to visit their graves. It's a heart-wrenching place to be, to see five freshly cut graves bearing the same name, a family that lived and grew and thrived, and a family taken from us, a family completely crushed by terror and by hatred. And it's a heart-wrenching scene on Haram Anuchas. What happened to that family? His daughter asked her father. Not wanting to expose his daughter to any more suffering than she had already experienced, the father evaded the question. Finally, the girl was tenacious in demanding from her father what happened. What happened? So the father informed the daughter as to what happened, but before he informed her, he asked her, why must you know? Why is it important for you to know about what happened to this family? His daughter said, Abba, because I saw the following scene. As I was lying dazed and bruised in this pizza shop, I saw a little boy. The three children who were murdered were little children, three years old, two years old, five years old. Heart-wrenching just to read the dates on the graves. So these little children, I saw this little boy dying in front of me. And he called out to his father, who was lying next to him, and said, Abba, help me, help me, I'm hurt, I'm injured. The father turned to his son and said, I can't help you, I'm on fire. I'm dying myself. I wish I could, but I can't. But do me a favor, he told his son. Place your hand in my hand, stretch out as far as you can, clutch my hand, and let's recite Shema Yisrael together as we ascend to Shemayim, Al-Kiddush Hashem. This is the scene that this adolescent girl saw on the floor of Sabaros. 
And the father of this daughter, who wrote this letter to some of his friends, asked himself the following question. He said, My daughter lay in the streets of Yushalayim watching people go to their death on Kiddush Hashem while reciting Kriyashima. He said, My father stood on the platforms of Auschwitz listening to Jews go to their death involuntarily, without choice, al Hashem, saying Shema. How come I never heard it? How come he said my generation never heard Shema Yisrael? And his point was that for about 50 years, we thought we had triumphed over Jewish history. We thought we had defeated history, that we had redeemed history. The Holocaust was concluded. The State of Israel was awarded to the Jewish people. We experienced a very impressive and almost supernatural string of military victories. Western civilization opened its doors to world Jewry and afforded them political clout, economic security, personal well-being, freedom, freedom of religion. And we thought that history had concluded and we had defeated history. And for 50 years, Jews really weren't forced to recite Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad too often. And now the events of the past 15-20 years have reminded us that the battle continues that as much as we thought and we think we had released our horns from the thicket of Haram Maria from the thicket of Jewish history from one Sara, there are unfortunately multiple Saras and multiple challenges awaiting us and the journey continues and the battle the battle continues and this was the message which this father so to speak, distilled or articulated that we dare not make the mistake of Esav of dislocating ourselves from that historical process by believing it to have been concluded or believing it to have concluded already. But the historical challenge continues. Shema Yisrael, Mesiras Nefesh, Al-Kiddush Hashem continues. This is the great challenge of Avodah Hashem. To be able to commit passionate and intense energy and effort to Torah study, to Shemir mitzvahs, to relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to moral behavior, in short, in short, to personal, ritual-based religious behavior. In addition, to sense the great march and the great call of Jewish history, the call of the Ayel, the call of the Shofar, the call of Mashiach, to sense it, to feel it, to share it, to shoulder it, and when possible, to participate, to contribute, to reciprocate to HaKadosh Baruch Hu's initiative, in short, to live the great model of Shir Hashirim, to forge a relationship of love with the Melech Malachim when he comes calling. Amir Tashem, this series of Shirim, which I've entitled Redemptive Sketches, will attempt to amplify or to elaborate the great challenge of redemptive experience, of historical participation, in particular, the great opportunity which the Melech Malchim and Lachim has afforded us over the last 60 some odd years, not just to be pawns of history, to be passive victims of history, but to once again ascend the historical stage, contribute, and author the final chapters of Gulas Yisrael.